Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 30 of Prognotes. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And today we are listening to and this is Pro- And this is Prognotes. This, this is, is Prognotes. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. What did you, why are you hijacking my intro? I don't know. I've never done it before, and it's felt like that's a box that I should check. You know what I mean? I guess so. Well, we're listening to Caress of Steel by Rush. Uh, yes, we are. Yeah, okay, there we go. All right, great. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. We're so glad you're here. We hope to educate and inspire you to uncover and learn about progressive rock music. So there are a lot of great podcasts out there. So we're very honored that you're here with us and we would love to connect with you. So please give us a follow on Instagram and or Facebook. Those links are in the episode's description. And we always want to say thank you to all of our patrons for helping this show and these episodes happen. And this is a fantastic, wonderful episode because A, this is a fan-voted episode. We are doing Crest of Steel because it was voted on by you. The second thing is that it's episode 30, which is just a really awesome accolade. But third is that this is the two-year celebration of Prognotes. So I feel like I should have a hand clap going yeah, on. Yeah, I thought that kind of would have been in there. I thought that but, was going to be the know, MO for that. That's okay. I that's totally okay. dropped the ball on that. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. So where, anyway. Where, and this is Prognotes where we talk about progressive rock news music. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, oh my. Oh, you said that. I, I, I did. Okay. Okay. Well. You want me to go into the album now, or? Oh, today we're doing an album. <laughs> this is why. This <laughs> is why I do the intros. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Just the music lineup, right with that. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. So, Caress of Steel is the third studio album by the Canadian progressive rock band Rush, released on September 24th, 1975. Is that Neil's birthday? What? I don't know. Is that know. Neil's birthday? I think that's Neil's birthday. Um, I, know that the, I know that the hand clock on Clockwork Angels is, li- is aligned to Neil's birthday, I believe. Then, yeah. Well, yes. It says is that his right? birthday is September 12th. It's 12th? Okay, yeah. so I'm off. What did you just say? 24th. This album was oh. released September 24th. No, that's Bez's birthday, though. Oh, it is. Yeah, you're right. That's interesting. Okay, anyway. So the members of Rush include Alex Lifeson on guitar, Getty Lee on bass, and Neil Peart on drums. Yes, it's Peart, not Pert. The record was produced by Terry Brown, who also produced uh, Fly By Night, and at this point was released on Mercury Records. Um, if you're thinking, wait, I thought Fly By Night came out in 1975. Uh, it, it did, but Fly By Night, so Fly By Night was recorded December of 74 and was released February 15th of 1975, and Caress of Steel was recorded July and August of 1975 and was released September 24th, 1975. So, busy, busy guys. Um, Caress of Steel featured long pieces broken up into various sections and long solo passage passages. It's often considered notable for the inclusion of the band's first two epic pieces, being the Necromancer and the Fountain of Lamb Neff. Uh, although Rush initially had high hopes for Caress of Steel, it was considered a disappointment by the record company, and the album ev- eventually became known as one of Rush's most obscure and overlooked recordings. Uh, diehard fans, though, I think, feel the record is maybe underrated, uh, which is, I have a feeling that's why that we're talking about it on this episode is because never in a thousand years that I think we were going to be talking about Caress of Steel this nope. early on in the show. Nope. I. So, yeah. But anyway, 
Um, so I, I gave a little of insight, a little bit of insight about the record companies and how they saw it. But Drew, how did the uh, the critics and what were the reviews like for this record? <laughs> I think, I mean, it was people say it's underrated. Um, if you're a diehard fan, like you said, probably. When it came out, it was not very successful. Uh, yeah. You know, they were able to squeeze themselves into charts just a little bit. Uh, they were number 148 on the U.S. Uh, billboard. To date, 500,000 copies have been sold in the U.S., which seems like a lot. Granted, that's over the span of, you know, over th- three decades so or yeah. more. So I, I, it wasn't very popular. It didn't achieve the gold status until 93. So, you know, wow. almost 20 years later, a little less, about 28 years later. Um, it's one of the few Rush records to not go platinum in the U.S. Um, it, it, I, think, I think that's true with the statement that, that diehard fans might like it and, and others might not. Like, if you're not really ensconced in the whole Rush community, then it's not going to... What were the other records that didn't go platinum? I don't know. I actually didn't check out the other. I'm actually going to look that up. I just real found quick. that interesting. Go ahead and, go ahead and continue. I'm going to find a fair that. chunk of them. Uh, probably are. I mean, you know, because Rush is a very successful band. Yeah. Um, probably their, probably their debut. I don't know very many people who are just other. And that's not true. Maybe because of Working Man, that sold a lot of records. So Possibly that, that. Yeah. Because that was kind of a hit for them. Whereas this record didn't really have any hits. Let's be honest. Mm. Um, yep. Um. And I, I would have to agree with that assessment. I don't think you're going to consider this record an essential. I mean, even for diehard fans. So, um, anyways, I have my opinions on it. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I looked at a lot of – I look at a lot of modern day because it's, it's pretty difficult, I think, to find older records of reviews. You know, sometimes when I'm looking up, like, modern day articles, they will reference really older reviews but it's it's kind of difficult to find from that time period what people were saying uh suffice to say i I don't think they were very glowing there's a reason that this tour for them was pretty depressing Hmm. so um but uh i i think it's it's interesting to hear what people have to say and i like to kind of draw from a variety of sources so there's one that uh was on cygnusx1.net surprise surprise it's a rush site so it's going to be a positive review yeah um hello it says but if the epic the necromancer wasn't enough for you enter the final masterpiece of magic on caress called the fountain of lamneth clocking in at almost 20 minutes in length lamneth shows rush at their pinnacle thus far Hmm. so i thought that was interesting some may say it's somewhat disjointed but I totally disagree. From the opening chord to the final book closing effect, The Fountain of Lemneth remains one of Rush's finest and seriously underrated works of art. Uh, and at the very end, he says, experience a type of music that is totally unique, totally mind-bending, totally mesmerizing, totally Rush. Nice. So um, that was nice. And then I got to, uh, you know, probably the m- more popular point of view, which is this is not very a notable work. And this is one that most people forget. And for good reason. Not that I'm saying I agree with that. I'm just saying that's kind of what this person's take was on it. Um, yeah. This was from All Music Score. Uh, the, the official review gave it a two out of five. Granted, I also just want to 
contextualize this, the, the official review, they, they kind of designate it to one person, it seems like, kind of for the overview, I guess someone they have on their staff or something. But okay. the user rating, the user rating from 965 people who voted on it gave it a four out of five. So clearly a bunch of Rush fans were like, you're not giving it enough credit. Yeah, you guys are missing um, out on something. Yeah. In fact, one of the positive reviewers, uh, you know, who, who was a Rush fan, one of their comments was, if you don't hear Rush becoming great on this album, you're not listening. Um, Shoot. So I thought that was funny. But anyways, the official review was uh, when Rush finished their third album, Crest of Steel, the trio was assured that they had created their breakthrough masterpiece. But when the album dropped off the charts soon after its release, it, pro- it proved otherwise. While it was Rush's first release that fully explored their prog rock side, it did not contain the catchy and more traditional elements of their future popular work. It's quite often too indulgent and pretentious for a mainstream rock audience to latch onto. Mm. And while Rush would eventually excel in composing lengthy songs, the album's two extended tracks, the 12 and a half minute The Necromancer and the nearly 20 minute Fountain of Lamneth, show that the band was still far from mastering the format. The first side contains two strong and more succinct tracks, the raging opener Bastille Day and the more laid back Lakeside Park, both of which would become standards for the live shows in the 70s. But the ill-advised I Think I'm Going Bald, which lyrically deals with growing old, borders on the ridiculous, which confirms that the sorry, <clears throat> which confirms that Caress of Steel is one of Russia's more unfocused albums. Mm. Um, hmm. So unfocused is an interesting I Yeah. I would I think I'd agree. Mm-hmm. To, to a certain extent with that and and but not in a i don't think it was unfocused in the in the wrong way i think it was just unfocused from the point of uh immaturity uh like they were still crafting and still figuring it out like what they were doing well yeah but that's a good term to use i believe well and so is the the term explore they were still exploring oh right? yeah you're not gonna master yeah. everything when you're looking at new ways of doing things and exactly what kind of band you want to be you know yeah, right so i i i have to agree with that um yeah then there was kind of like a middle of the road review from metal archives uh a reviewer called release the bears gave it a 75 percent um here's what he said while there are still a few moments of blatant yes worship which i thought was an interesting and i didn't realize this he said including the the battle section of the necromancer which sounds like the beginning of the heart of the sunrise from fragile i didn't realize that until i i saw that i was like Oh yeah, I can hear that. So Heart of the Sunrise from Fragile is and it reminds me of Oh. And it does kind of have that very similar rhythm to the beginning of Heart of the Sunrise, if you know what I mean. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Where Squire and Groover are really locking in with each other. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, that's really um, cool. So overall, way, this album finally contains a unique Rush sound, pretty much throughout. Sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say I found the uh, the album sales uh, for all of them to see which ones went gold and platinum. Destin, do me a favor and tell me those. Uh, God bless. That was unreal. Okay, so I'm just gonna. This is no no in particular order from the from their discography release, but Test for Echo never made it platinum. That stayed gold. Um. <laughs> Let's see here. Yeah, which is not Makes really surprising. Sense. Um, Rush, their debut, did not okay. platinum. So I was right. Okay. Yes, it did not platinum. Um, let's see here. Funny enough, uh, I think, I don't know, I feel like this record gets a lot of hate, but it still went platinum. Roll the Bones went platinum. Um, let's see here. Presto never went platinum. Um, okay. Let's see here. Hold Your Fire never went platinum. 
Hmm. Counterparts never went platinum. Caress of Steel never right. went platinum. And then uh, let's see here. This is all the United States, by the way. Um, that's it. Everything else was like their live stuff, like different stages and junk like that. Right. They, Which, yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm not even going to mention those because they're live records. But those are the those are the ones that didn't go platinum. Yeah. And out of uh, a studio record, I mean, collection of what twenty plus albums. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Oh, that's incredibly uh, impressive. I find it. What I find it most impressive actually is I didn't even realize this. I'm looking at this right now, and uh, I, it, this is really interesting. Russian Rio has sold more than moving pictures. That's really interesting. Yeah, it went it's gone 6 times multi, excuse me, 7 times multi platinum. That's crazy. For Russian for Russian Rio and Russian and Rio. uh and even R30. R30 went 5 times multi platinum. But but if you look at uh moving pictures, moving pictures only went 4 times multi platinum. Hmm. In 95, it reached that in 1995. I found that to be incredibly interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know exactly. I think Moving Pictures was actually released on the first of the year in 1981. That you're gonna have to fact check me on that one, dude, because I don't know about that. But I mean, it went gold in four months. And well, big. I mean, Tom Sawyer was a big hit, and huge. so was yeah. Limelight. Those yep. two were really big hits. Yeah, and, yeah. And so. uh, but but even even 2112. If people are curious about that, that went three times platinum. Not even close to Russian Rio. Yeah, and some of that might also just be the time that it was released, right? Like, yeah, accessibility. I think it came out in two thousand three, right? Accessibility, so that's probably and, what it, probably what it. Yeah, you're probably right. Right. I mean, so because you don't anyway. have to, you, you don't have to get it now in this by walking into the store, right? Yep. You can no, you're order it online, right? And I mean, you know, that like still early two thousands aren't what it was today, but you could still order stuff online, right? Yep. I mean, so. Yep that may have been part of it is just the accessibility yeah. to it was a lot more. So, so, so post, post internet, uh, right. you're, you're looking at, uh, counterparts R rough, n roughly, eh, kind of not really, but counterparts was 93, uh, test for echo. That was 96. That one didn't go platinum. Um, snakes and arrows did. Uh, I didn't see any information in here on clockwork angels, but I am, I bet you that actually, I don't know. I'm curious. I'd have to look it up. But either way, I'm, I'm not going to stray away from We're talking about Caress of Steel. Sorry. No, you're all good. But anyway. Uh, jump back into this review here. Um, th there's no mistaking which band you are listening to. Last. This is Rush. It's not always the most well-written Rush, and certain members still struggle with differentiating, uh, with differentiating between times to be subtle and times to show off. But Caress of Steel is joyously nerdy Dungeons & Dragons prog rock mixed with phenomenal playing by all. Epic yell singing by Getty. And heavy metallic guitar tones by Alex. I actually read a couple of reviews, and uh, I don't think I actually cited exactly where some of them were from, but I remember glancing across some stuff. And some people said uh, the parts that are unfocused and kind of veer off are almost always saved by license playing, which is hmm. interesting because I feel like Alex doesn't really get that much attention with with this. And we may have mentioned this on our two previous episodes because we did one on 2112 and we did one on moving pictures. Yep. So we may have mentioned this in the past, past, but you know, I feel like Alex doesn't really get as much credit because Neil is kind of, you know, one of the big draws of the group because he's, you know, he's he's Neil, right? He's, he's a monster. Yeah, he's one of the best drummers in rock history. And Getty has incredibly fast, quick playing. He also has a very iconic singing voice, and he also plays keys. So the fact that 
he's multi-talented and does a lot of things like that's just more grabby than playing guitar yeah um and so oh, i was wondering what that noise was and then i was like oh it's the narration for the necromancer <laughs> um, yeah which i i read on a couple of reviews people were not partial to and i can't blame them that's also one of those things i'm like okay yeah okay it's neil uh, giving it it is yeah yep. uh but anyways uh i just thought that was interesting because yeah I, I i didn't notice it until i read it. i was thinking yeah you know what there is some pretty awesome guitar playing on this record and yeah. I, I i guess i just don't notice it as much and part of that is maybe just the way i listen to music i am very in tune with drums and bass and vocals and keys and, and sometimes guitar work can evade me uh but then when I, I i i saw that and i listened to the record again i was like yeah there are some pretty amazing guitar moments on here and even if they're not like the flashiest or the quickest they they work really really well and they give it, it that kind of raucous feel that that is iconic to rush right yeah no so, definitely i mean i mean it's just it's something that i sometimes forget about and i'm like that's not fair because rush would not be rush without all three of those elements in there without all yeah. three of those guys you have to have all of them and yeah um, oh definitely yeah there's i some think i think he's really underrated here he, well he is i think he's incredibly underrated because i mean it's just i don't know the, the amount of creativity but also even even if we're gonna talk about just this time period i mean for a third record this is incredibly confident playing like oh, the way that he plays yeah. that guitar, dude, he's like, he's owning it. He owns that thing. And yeah, well, biggest credit do. I can give to him on that. They all Absolutely. do. Yeah, you're right. They're, but specifically I mean, guitar. For sure. Yeah. They're, I mean, Rush was, has always impressed me. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, as, as early as, you know, even their debut album is, they're, they're very young. Yeah. I think they were in their late teens when they did that. Maybe early 20s. Their very yeah. first record, but uh, you know, and they're doing a great job. Um, and Fly By Night progresses even more. You know, they got Neil as the as the new drummer, and uh, yeah, yeah. Rush has always kind of astonished me with their playing. Um, it's always something that you can latch on to. I think, You're like, wow, that's that's really impressive. At the yeah, very least, even if it's not your favorite type for, of music, it's, yeah. it's very impressive especially for just three guys. So anyways, uh, yeah. all that to say, the reviews on this were very mixed. And, you know, I think even the guys themselves look back on that in retrospect and have a very similar reaction of, look, it wasn't the worst thing ever, but it's also not something that, you know, I think was our best work. Yeah, you know, I have some quotes kinda, from them. Kind of there. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I actually have some quotes of them about what, what they were talking or what they said couple you know years later about caress of steel um here's a quote from alex he said uh, the fountain of lamb death on caress of steel was really our first full concept song and 2112 was an extension of it uh this was him talking in 2008 he first, uh, goes on to say that that was a tough period for rush because caress of steel didn't do that well commercially but we were really happy with it and wanted to develop that style and so it's i'm, I'm just using that to use this as a launch pad is that this is a developmental album for rush um yeah it, it, it was uh and so getty uh said in 1993 he said a lot of the early stuff i'm really proud of uh some of it sounds really goofy but some of it stands up better than i gave it credit for as weird as my voice sounds when i listen back i certainly dig some of the arrangements but i cannot go back to beyond 2112 really yeah, because that's yeah. that's when it starts to get a bit hairy for me 
And if I hear Lakeside Park on the radio, I cringe. What a lousy song. Still, I don't regret anything I've done. Yeah, I, I saw that too. Yep. And I thought that was very interesting. Also because on their R40 tour, they played Lakeside Park. And I yeah, guess they did. Like in such high demand, but it's so funny because I read that quote and I was like, I wonder if he really hated playing that because he mm-hmm. just doesn't like that song. Who knows? But, but yeah. But yeah. Um, but furthermore, Getty had another quote that I found in 2014. So this is uh, uh, two years after Clockwork Angels. I think this is when they were doing the Time Machine tour around uh-huh. that time. But yeah. uh, he said, that whole caressive steel period is stuck in a strange and funny moment in our history. I really don't know how that would stand the test of time. Yep. So they they, they even have kind of this like, uh, I don't know about it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I don't regret it, but it's not the best thing we've done. It's just kind of there. And yeah. you, honestly, I mean, I I can see that for being a developmental period. Like, you're, you're, you know, you're proud of what you've done, but you know it's just not the best thing that you've done. So even Rush says that about that, about this album. Right. Right. So, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, it's a, it was a financial flop. You know, it, it came nowhere close to the commercial success of Fly By Night, right? The, the record uh, buying public just were shunning the, the, the longer tracks, right? Um, like you were saying, it was like it, they just weren't, it wasn't palatable for the people who were into stuff like Fly By Night and Working Man and stuff like that. Uh, even though that was destined to become the future of Rush. But the people who, you know, uh, well, not even that, like, di- like ticket sales led to, uh, what was it? What was it? The uh, the Down the Tubes Tour? Is that what they called it? They called it the Down the Tubes Tour. Yeah, Down the Tubes Tour, right? And the record company practically demanded the band to forsake their new direction. Rush refused, right? Fine-tuned their approach, and produce the space rock masterpiece 2112 right. their commercial right. breakthrough right so in defense of caress of steel there would no be 2112 without caress of steel there would there would not be rush without correct without caress of steel because without 2112 they wouldn't have had their commercial breakthrough which led them to do all of the other things that they wanted to do and so it's it's a uh, you know that's that's just a defense of Caressive Steel. Like, it's it's needed in their discography. And when you go back and listen to it, for people who maybe be like, if, you, if you're listening to this episode and you're like, ah, I know, I know Moving Pictures, I know 2112, like, I know those records, and yeah, they're great. I know Hemispheres, I like them. And you go back, listen to Caressive Steel with the mindset of this was the record that they did to get to where they were, to get to the, some of those records that we all love and enjoy, Moving Pictures, 2112, Hemispheres, all of that stuff. If you go back and listen to this, you'll, you'll hear the developmental period of the three guys coming into those records. And that's, that's kind of a fun thing to hear, at least in my opinion, it's a, it's a cool thing to hear. Like, Oh yeah. Like you, you can hear the direction that they're, that they're going and where they were trying to go and what they were trying to do. And it's just, that's, that's fun to watch. It's fun to watch. Yeah. Well, you can start with by tour and the snow dog from fly by night. Yeah. That's a longer piece. That's kind of a mini epic because it's yeah. over eight minutes long, which for the time was still a very long piece of music for the realm of rock and pop right. and all, all that, you know, for for the rock movement. You know, yeah. still blues-based music, I don't think you would see anything more than five minutes, typically. Right? Oh, yeah. At around this time. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've always got exceptions. You've got Stairway to Heaven and stuff like that, which is like over seven minutes. But um, 
for the yeah. most part, you wouldn't really see that. And Bytor and the Snowdog was clearly thematic, and there was a story there. And, uh, you know, there are actually a lot of parallels to them and Led Zeppelin. I'm not saying that they're copycats, because I think they were actually kind of accused of that a little bit back in there, back when they were starting out. It's because Yeti was like, I think the only reason people are calling us similar is because I have a similar voice to Robert Plant, because we both right. kind of have a shrieky sort of thing going on. Yep. But you can also tell that, you know, Led Zeppelin tried to explore some more thematic stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, and they were inspired by a lot of, you know, fantasy aspects and Tolkien and stuff like that. And, you know, you get that with, with Rush as well. And you can see that with Bytor and the Snowdog. And then they progress on to Caress of Steel, which is a pretty big progression. It's not like two 10-minute songs. They have one 12-minute and then a long, like, 18 to 19-minute piece. It's almost 20, actually. It's, I mean, yeah. It, well, it's, Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just under. Um, but that is a pretty big progression. Yeah, you're right. It's yeah. just under 20. Yep. Um, but, uh, and then, you know, of course comes 2112 where they, they kind of focus everything into one piece. And then of course they have like the, the B side tracks and everything. Yeah. But it's kind um, of like Caress of Steel in a way. I mean, they have Fountain of Lamb Neth, but then they also have, you know, Bastille Day, I think I'm going bald in Late Psych Park because the record's only right. five songs. It's it's very similar to 2112, except they went longer and they didn't have two songs over 10 minutes. They just had one. Right. But, so. uh, you know, you can tell that they wanted to be different, especially with something like as raucous and as more grabby as Bastille Day is. Like, you can kind of latch on to that a little easier because it's, yeah. one, shorter, and two, it just has some very standard rock rhythms and riffs in it. Yeah, it's still really nerdy because it's about the French Revolution. Like they're taking a historical story and event and putting it to rock music. That's that's nerdy, but it's awesome. I mean, that's kind of why it's awesome. Um, <laughs> I I love that they did that, um, and th- they were they were definitely progressing, and they had they had to have this this record, this Caressive Steel, as as that exploration as experimentation and not all experiments work right yeah they knew they were going on to something better and uh i think that's great that they stayed true to themselves and you know i, I don't think anyone except them I, I don't think they got much support from anyone that's what i'm trying to say i think they played this for kiss while they were on tour for them hoping that they would kind of like dig it and see what they were doing and they didn't they didn't get it and honestly i'm sure there were times while they were recording this where they didn't even really get it you know crud that's in the the documentary beyond the lighted stage i think alex even says i don't even know if we got it um yeah you know and um i kind of i get that i I, you know i think I, i think it's it's difficult to convey all the ideas in your head into a piece of music if you want to make like a full and complete story or even more ambitious, create a world. Yep. Right. World building takes a long, long time. Yeah, it does. You have to figure out how a whole system of magic works. You have to figure out what the characters do and if that fits within your world. So you have to look at the technical side. And then on top of that, you not only have to look at the technical side, you have to look at, okay, does this make sense story-wise and character-wise? Sometimes right. that's hard to do. And how many movies and TV shows have you seen where it's just kind of like they're more focused on the world building than they are on the actual development of the story, of the plot, mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. It's right. hard to combine those things. So when you're doing world building, that's a very difficult thing to do. And it's something I, I'm not going to pretend that I can do. But I've just seen 
you know, a couple of videos here and there online about, you know, writers talking about, Hey, here's how I write world building. It's like, Oh, I don't even think about that stuff. Yeah. You know, I don't even think about it, but it takes a lot of time. And so when you're trying to do that and set it to, you know, a condensed length of only 20 minutes, like that's a long time music wise, but storytelling wise, that's not that long. And you're trying to make melodies around that too and everything. And that's why mm. I think part of the reason progressive rock sometimes maybe gets evaded or looked at like, it just doesn't work is because they've got such an ambitious idea and you're really limited by the music. But at the same time, that's what makes it fun. And let's be honest, sometimes the limitations are what force you to be more creative. Yep. In a oh, way. that's right. That's right. Yeah. So I, I just, you know, I'm just saying this because it's, it's difficult to really write a good concept record. Um, yeah. And what's good is obviously going to vary from person to person, right? That's very subjective, but yeah. Um, for all intents and purposes, I think that this has some pretty notable music on it, um, and it's it's good. I I think, I mean, and this this might be a good segue into the concept, which I won't go into in detail. Um, it's wide but, though. I mean, we got we got all kinds of stuff going on with this. I mean, outside of just, the, I mean, including the epics, we have the French Revolution, uh, right. going bald. Uh, Neil writing about a park that he worked right. at as a teenager in the summer at, at St. Catherine's and then you have the Necromancer and Fountain of Lamnath, which I'm not even going to bother because I'm just going to let you talk about that. I'm going to go get some water. Okay. Well, <laughs> Destin's gone. I'm it's gone. Just, Take it away, Drew. It's just you and me. Listening Take it away. Notes. Uh, so, here's the deal. You want some Mr. Rogers music? You want me to I didn't in? No, okay. I, uh, I I don't want that. I okay, that's I, fine. I don't. That's right, that's, I mean, that's fine. That's more power to you. Whew. The the con- <laughs> the concept of the necromancer. I'm just giving give real brief explanations. Because go for sure, dude, go for it, man. I, I'm sure you can. <laughs> I'm sure there are. <laughs> I'm sure there's a bunch of like. Uh, forums online where people have like really tried to dissect this stuff and everything. Probably way more than Neil ever did. Sure. Let's be honest. Because um, fandoms can just be like that. But sure, sure. It's a very surface level concept. The Necromancer. I was like, oh, this is so thematic because we've got a narrator. But honestly, uh-huh. the narrator is the only one who actually progresses the story forward, and the rest is kind of, I guess, the guy's uh, musically interpreted state of being. Oh, and okay. Feeling of these moments that the narrator has set up and musically the narrator doesn't work the effect they put on his voice doesn't work for me i'm sorry and i this is coming from an avid rush fan we're both huge he's rush, avid he's huge avid. rush fans uh but you know it, it's just it's just kind of weird right there but yep. the, the 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 narration i mean but anyways Based on the lyrics, it seems like Peter just wanted to write about an intimidating force, an evil uh-huh. person, right? right. A necromancer. Um, you know, I, I think I read that he was inspired by Tolkien, uh, by Tolkien's uh, necromancer that's mentioned in The Hobbit. Which I, I, I love Lord of the Rings, the movies, but in fairness, I don't know all of the lore. So all the mm. mega Tolkien fans, I'm sorry, I don't know that much. But I think sorry. that the necromancer there was another name or another form physical form or, or some sort of Sauron 
which is the main villain in the Lord of the Rings series. So The right. Hobbit takes place in the same universe several years before the Lord of the Rings plot with at least Frodo. Whatever. Anyways, um, I'm sure people don't want me to talk about that forever. But anyways, it's interesting that he was inspired by Tolkien, especially because Led Zeppelin was as well. And you can see that in some of their works as well. So, yeah. Uh, but the story is pretty straightforward. These three travelers of Willowdale, which, by the way, is like a little homage to where they grew up. I think Getty and Alex lived oh, yeah, you're right. in a division called Willowdale or something. And so Peter kind of threw that in there. So these three travelers stumble upon the lands of the Necromancer. Ooh. They can feel his terrible presence draining them of their oh, soul God. and their will. And there, there's not really much rising conflict. It's just, I guess he's like trying to possess them. He leads them to a dungeon where their souls are almost drained and devoured. Oh, God. And then out of nowhere. I know. I know you're on the edge of your seat. Hold um, on. But then the good, hey, there's hope. There's hope here. No way. Yeah. I, well, I don't What's know if hope? it's hope or more of just a deus ex machina. Because that, it could just be that. We're just sure, something sure. happened. But then, I'm going to kill you. But then, Bitor, from the previous record. No, I from the previous record? Yeah, but I think it's like an AU, like an alternate universe. I what? Think, yeah, because I don't think this is the same. Because I think Bitor is more of like a villainous character in the first one. Maybe I'm wrong. I need to look into the concepts more of this. But Bitor shows up from the previous record, and he defeats the Necromancer. Where's the snow dog? The snow dog's gone, man. Don't stop asking me about the snow dog. His time in the light is gone. I'm sorry, but the snow dog was the best part. I know, because it's a snow dog. Sometimes things are just disappointing. Yeah. Well, yeah. This is why I don't give this record a 10 out of 10, is because the snow dog's not on it. Hmm. And who would blame you? Whoa! Um, with the drink yeah it was pretty bad but uh yeah so by tour like you hear it in the lyrics i think at the end but the the men are free blah 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 but then oh no necromancer oh oh gone but oh oh because you hear at the very end that he goes on to another area to drain people of their will over there but at least the three men of willowdale are like hunky dory they're all good we go okay that's great now hey the serial killer went next door we're fine let's celebrate Hey, that's great and all. Shoot. But. I mean, that's. I, yeah. I mean, great. Awesome. But so. Modern translation. That, you know, I think he really should have done a follow up where he's like, no, let's like actually like totally get rid of this guy. He's bad. He's hurting other people. But I guess right. the men of Willowdale are just kind of like, we're just happy we're alive. Yeah. We're just going to let other people be dead. Yeah. Yeah. And, They're extremely passive and don't want to yeah. go after this guy. Yeah. AKA, they, it's yeah. like. Yeah, it seems like they kind of let stuff happen to them. They're sure. one of those. They're some of those people. You know? Yeah, yeah. They just kind of let stuff happen to them. That's very interesting. That kind of yeah. interesting. I'm that doesn't do make any sense. A whole analysis on the three men of Willowdale and why they are the most cowardly protagonists in any piece of fiction I have ever write a book consumed. I write a book. Going to write, write a book. At the very least, I'm going to write an essay. Write I think. I. I mean, Neil was just angry. <laughs> I know what this is. I mean, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I thought you were segueing into your thing. I'm not segueing into anything. I I'm just stating facts. Okay, no, I'm stating all right. facts. Because I, I, I know that there's a little surprise coming oh, up. Oh, I but, have a surprise. I mean, you want the um, surprise? I don't need the surprise now. I know it's happening later, but I just that really <laughs> seems like, I don't like need, the perfect I don't segue. need the surprise now. I just know I, it's happening. I don't. I don't. It's um, no longer a surprise, Drew, if you know what's happening. That's true. Well, they don't know what the surprise is. But they yeah, don't. I guess it does kind of take some of the, the air out of the tires there. 
Yeah. What is that metaphor? Why did I, I say that? That's not a thing. That's not an idiom. That's not a colloquialism. That is not. Is that this? is not a good metaphor. Dude, the air out of the tires, man. What? You took the oh. you took the bullet out of the gun right there, dude. Shoot. Yeah. Dude, I I'm... took the sand out of the hourglass there. There's oh. no more suspense. I don't <laughs> know. Water out of the ocean right there, dude. Dude, there's no more juice in my thimble. What? Whoa, whoa. Oh lord. Okay, we got to keep moving. We got to keep moving. Okay, so, Are you? So hold that... on. That's just the necromancer. Are you actually going to talk about Fountain of Lamb Neff? The Lamb Neff, I'm just very briefly going to gloss over. God And bless. actually, it's not even, like... I, I, anyways, that's just the Necromancer right Get there. Get on with it. It's very surface level. <laughs> Guys are in trouble, and then out of nowhere, some dude saves them. And you don't even know why. Return you don't of even the know his connection. To, yeah, Return of the pr Prince. Okay, what does this mean? And I guess maybe you're supposed to do some of that on your own. But, like, there's very little context here. Whatever. <laughs> They were having fun writing a long song, so there you go. Also, oh, this is coming God. off as very irreverent, but we love Rush, and I feel like we don't have to state that considering we've done two records on them already. Exactly. Honestly, we this is the we've been listening to this record. We've been listening to this record for probably ten years now. I've never once even considered wanting to know what the concept is. It does. I don't care. Like I just like it. Uh, yeah. So the concept whatever. of the fountain of Lemneth is actually interesting. I kind of like the word Lemneth, and I think he created that on his own. I like that. Lamb. Oh, oh I, I like that. Shoot. Oh, oh, I like that. Uh, lamb is stemming from like a lamb, the animal, which yep. is usually in Western, you know, pop culture and everything. Usually that symbolizes innocence, gentleness, and purity. I mean, crud in the Christian faith in the Western world. That is you know, the lamb of God, all that. So it, it symbolizes innocence, gentleness, and purity. Yep. Neth, I think, is supposed to kind of stem from the netherworld, the underworld. Underworld. I, yeah. Where souls <laughs> are lost, you know, and, and all right. this. So I think that's kind of like death, right? So lamb neth is like life, innocence, purity, and neth death so yeah. it's kind of yeah. supposed to be the fountain of life and death which is like life and death that's always what we're searching for the meaning of what's the meaning deal. of life what's the meaning of life the meaning of existence what is death you know how does that relate to our existence and give it meaning or does it is it all for naught you know blah 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 so i think the protagonist is trying to search for the meaning of life and death uh you know in the end <laughs> it seems like he's just as confused as when he set out on his journey to begin with. That's amazing. So I kind of love that uh, in a way. To me, it's just funny. I think also he kind of wanted to leave it ambiguous and not try to tell people this is what life is supposed to be about. And then, of course, he does it at the very end of his career with Rush and the garden is the measure of love and respect. But um, <laughs> yeah, but at this point in time, he, he decided not to pull a Roger Waters and just write the record and leave it ambiguous. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, he's, but the search continues on, which I kind of like, that's kind of like, no one totally knows the meaning of everything. Uh, but I kind of, I do like the ending here, the ending lyrics. Now at last I fall before the fountain of Lemneth. I thought I would be singing, but I'm tired out of breath. Many journeys end here, but the secrets told the same. Life is just a candle and a dream must give it flame. So, okay. There's kind of meaning in that. It's not like it was all for naught. But then it says the key, the end, the answer, stripped of their disguise. Still, it's all confusion and tears spring to my eyes. Though I've reached a signpost, it's really not the end. Like old soul behind the mountain, I'll be coming up again. So coming up again makes me think he's 
it's not the end. It's like his journey is going to continue uh -huh. on. Like he's still uh, going to be searching for this. Yeah. And even though he thinks he's found it, maybe the journey then is not necessarily to the fountain of Lemneth, but it's just the journey of life. Uh huh. I don't know, man. I mean, yeah. this is just. I mean, uh, hey, you said you're going to briefly go over it, and I feel like I so just got an entire history class right there. This is brief. This is very brief. 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 I think it's with an F. Not anymore. Oh! Not this anymore. Gonna, he's just going to run with it. This is what Dude, it's going to be now. I'm committed that this Dude, is going to be a you want to You want to hear something that I found about uh, about Fountain of Lanath musically? Even if I don't, I feel like you're going to tell me anyway. So go ahead. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it anyway because I'm going to just steamroll. I'm just going to steamroll. Please do uh, it. Shoot. So there's there's a there's a thing that uh, there's a riff that's in Fountain of Lanath. I told you this, and that sounds very very similar to the last song off of uh, Hold Your Fire, uh, being High Water. Yes. Uh, so you, I'm. Uh, you I'm, showed I'm, this to me and it blew my mind because I totally didn't even realize this. I'm glad yeah, you pointed it out. Yeah. This is me flexing on everybody to hear how much of a Rush fan I am. Um, yeah. This is. Uh, yeah. This is me doing that. So uh, this is appropriately titled "The Fountain of High Water." the tempos are eerily similar too <laughs> and the timing yeah, is so fluid to switch between the two yeah thank you that's my editing skills right there just to make that work i suppose sure sure but yeah but anyway no um, that's uh so yeah that's it's, uh, great quite similar yeah i mean this was uh 12 years apart obviously yeah uh, what is 75 75 to, to 87 87 yeah, yeah. And uh, and high water is kind of a I don't know I like that song but that's besides the I point. I do too and I like that and I like <laughs> and I like that song but that's besides the point. But anyway, yeah, just fun little uh, fun little flex from Destin. All right, continue on, Drew. I liked that flex, Destin. Thanks. If there was a flex that I was a fan of, it would Thanks, be dude. that one. Oh yeah, absolutely. You're so, welcome. I'm here to support you. I'm you're here your to support and friend. What? <laughs> okay. Hey, yeah, and this. Hi, I'm Destin. Uh, this is Prog Notes, and uh, and that's Drew. He's my co-host and friend. I am the co-host and friend, and this is Prog Notes. He already said that, but I have to say it too. Uh, he's my boss. Uh, he's my shoot voice. <laughs> he's my boss. I'm her boss. I'm her, and I'm her boss. Oh my god. He's my boss. All right. So anyway, there's a uh, there's a time now. Now there's a thing. There's a thing here. Rush has been a very clean band. <clears throat> oh, oh no. <clears throat> Rush has been a very clean band. They, they, they aren't people that are going to use profanity in their music uh, or, or, or do anything that is uh, belligerent in some sort of way. But, uh, but man, uh, was Neil angry on this album? Um, I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know what happened. There was something probably going on in his life to make him want to just absolutely just, you know, you know shout out some stuff on this record uh, which sure. was very fitting because getty that's kind of all he did during this time was just was, shout was shout yeah mm -hmm. um so uh either he was going to be a protester or a musician and i'm, I'm glad he became a musician um, whoa yeah i know that's unreal but uh <laughs> so um but anyway so yeah i, I just want to show everybody some context give everybody some, uh, just a quick example of of the the anger the sheer anger 
that was coming from this record. Here you go. Uh, I have to admit that's that's kind of what I always thought. Like I knew it was pitching. I knew it was that too. But I knew it, it was just, pitching. Yeah. But I can't help but thinking because of how emphatic he is with that. He is. That's the that's the that's the what makes it. Is pitching yeah. Violently. yeah. But anyway, he does. Yeah, he actually doesn't. He doesn't say that. It's it's pitching with the you guys. Guys, do not worry. Yeah, anyway, guys, they are still good people. They the, are still whoa. clean band. Oh, do not gosh. be worried. They oh, are a good, Lord? clean band. No vulgarity. They are pure. What they is this voice? What is good. this voice? Oh, man. Rush still has integrity. And so I, do I. I. I don't even know what to say anymore. I'm just in sheer shock at the moment. Uh, that is Abrams. I just created him. Holy say crap. hi to Abrams. Oh, That's his first name. That is not his last my name. My God. Okay. All right. Hey, you want to talk about the artwork for a second? I'm going to talk about the artwork. Steamroll. So You're I. Going to. Yep. Here we go. Um, here's a here's just some uh, some quick uh, quick fun facts on the artwork that was created by Hugh Syme, Um, which I don't know anything else that he's done, and honestly, I just didn't look into it. So I thought he did like a bunch. I, I think he he's done, done a bunch. Like I think he's like like uh, like a Roger Dean or other people like that who oh. are like really really big. Whoa. Who's done a lot of different stuff. But I check I out the I'm look not... on this guy. Sorry, I just looked up a photo. Whoa! Oh, is he? Is it? Is it pretty messed up? No, it's just it's a look. That's all. It's, it's a not. Look. It's a, okay. it's a look. It is not like the, the like the most. I don't know, man. You. I I don't know. Oh, I'm sorry, dude. You're gonna have to look up a photo if you just look up Hugh Simon. You would... <laughs> all right, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's a look. I'm sorry. Give it give it a moment. Oh! <laughs> oh, he's so this serious. Cool. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. I, I don't know. It's the it's the it's the the profile picture shot. It's the the headshot uh -huh. look. Yep. You know, kind of the yep. Vogue, the Zoolander. We got a little yep. Zoolander going on. Oh, that's pretty busted right there. Oh, well, look at that. He he's appeared on some Rush songs as a keyboard player, and that, that actually sounds familiar. Because I think he did. Didn't he do something on like? Oh man, I don't even remember. He did something. He did. I don't remember. Whatever. But he, I, I think I. I yeah. That sounds Power familiar Windows to me or too. I don't know. Either way. Um. Whatever. He did the artwork for Caressive Steel, and I, here's a quote from him. He says, "I was a huge uh, MC Escher fan. Escher. Um, You've lost perspective of the picture Escher, by Escher. Escher. It's the it's pressure. The pressure. Simon. 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 What? Simon says. Uh, continuing the quote, he says, "My original drawings were in pencil, clean." monochromatic simple homages to Escher but when the record label got a hold of these they thought it wasn't rock and roll enough so they added this chromium lettering lettering and swung the tint of the whole image over to a brown sepia tone none of which was requested under my purview at the time and it's funny he afterwards he he, he says this he says the band came to me and they said what happened and he just responded with I don't know and Whoa. that's it that's all the information I have I don't know. I don't know. That was the end of the whole thing. And I was like, okay, that's great. That's hilarious. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea. 
No, I have no idea. So anyway, Shit. fun fact there. Yeah, there wasn't the band thought, or the record label thought it wasn't rock and roll enough. Rock and rock and reunion. It's shoot. This is Rush's rock and reunion sponsored, sponsored by, stamps. by stamps. God bless. So anyway, uh, you want to move into some of our opinions about it? I mean, I know we've kind of touched on it and talked about it, but we can we can go a little bit deeper yeah. into what we think about the record. Uh, sure. Before we do that, let me give you guys just a quick sum up. If you guys are interested in some of the music and uh, some of the uh, haven't haven't heard this record, let me just give you a general outline of what this record sounds like. Uh, this is just a quick little audio file I put together for everybody. I think I'm, I'm going bald. next week I can tell. I think anyone listening could tell that you were bored. <laughs> I can absolutely say, okay, so this is 2020. Oh this is the, the quarantine setting in. Oh, and Dustin's man. like, there's too much I got to do. I'm just going <laughs> to. There's just not. I'm just bored. Oh, man. You have no idea how much joy that gave me making that, but also right. just listening back to it and hearing your reaction. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you bastardized this record <laughs> well bastille day but anyway Whoa. uh shoot uh, anyway nice little sum up besides the ending there that was all me um yeah uh I, well hey, let me let me uh, let me open it up with just by uh by saying this my suspicion <laughs> is that i know just any anytime anybody leads off a sentence with that you know that something no i was just is coming. thinking I was just thinking that this is—we're talking about how unfocused 
this record was, or like people have said that. And I'm thinking this is probably one of our most unfocused prognosis. Do you think that that was on purpose? Because it was. Whoa. Anyway, I thought you I got the memo. So. I thought you got my email about that. Did you not get my no. life gram? No, I don't get life grams anymore. I signed off get of my, life gram. Did you not get my tweet or my I Snapchat message? The Twix? No. Yeah, the Twix. Oh, did you get my Twix? Oh! Yeah. Okay, here's my suspicion. Is that this album, or, or with this album, is that people are unaware, and I'm, I'm going to uh, uh, reference back to what I was saying before, unaware of the developmental period that this record lies in after hearing something like Hemispheres or Moving Pictures, right? Because this album is the product of young apprentices apprentices mastering their craft. Yet, people who may have never heard some of the Rush give it maybe maybe a half-hearted hearted listen, right? So, I, I love, I really, really enjoy this record for that kind of reason. Like, I can hear how young Alex is in some of the solos because, like, his solos are just some of the my favorite Oh my gosh, they're just so good. They're they're incredible. On every single song, you can just hear the the craft that he puts into all of all of Rush's discography. Um, it's like everything has a purpose. It's not just like oh, let me just jam on the pentatonic scale here for a little bit. Um, like I could just see him really planning it out. Same thing with Neil. They're really planning it out. Um, but also, uh, I can hear the developmental side of it and the approach with um, Neil. Uh, you know, he still has that kind of John Bonham drum sound, which, and, and that Keith Moon, John Bonham drum sound with like the toms, the low, like, boom, kind of tom sound and stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, which that would, those were his idols. That's the the people that he, the guy, those are the guys that he really, really enjoyed. And so he started, uh, he, he still has that sound, although his, I think his playing is a little, is different, but still reminiscent of like John Bonham and Keith Moon and and guys like that. Um, and so that's like for, for some, yeah, for me, like after, you know, if I listen to all of the rush records and I listen to the seventies and the developmental time of that, getting up to hemispheres, which is kind of the turning point for them when they decided we can't be doing this anymore. Um, it's, uh, it's fun to see that it's fun to see that journey of going through the seventies with rush and, uh, of course, there's stuff. There's great. You can still hear some of that on Fly By Night. Like you said, Drew, with like By Tord and Snow Dog and everything. But this record in particular. And, but the compositions are actually quite good. Like, yeah, it's not the best thing ever. Yeah, the concepts are kind of like, whatever. Okay. Oh, that, dude, there great. are, there are the, some parts that it's hard not to like rock out to. Yes. Unpl- like, yeah. Why, why would you not rock out to some of these parts? Yeah, like, but think, think about this. Awesome. Like, uh, I saw in like Bastille Day. Like, what really matters there is the energy. Like, remember, this is 1975. This is yep. ex- this is heavy for the mid-'70s. Like, that, this song gives a band like 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 Black Sabbath and Deep Purple a run for their money. You know, but but again, just the energy. Um, and it's funny, no wonder this song opened, like, every Rush concert for several tours in the 70s. I think they opened their concerts with, with Bastille Day a lot. It's a great song. It's a great opener too. It's a great rock just song. And it just with the band and that, that all of that. It's great, um, but it is sort of the black sheep of their catalog to me. Um, yeah, it, it it kind of is. Um, I'm trying to think of something else that really stands out like that too. Test for Echo. Test for Echo. 
Yeah, but they were but they were on the verge of that with well not on the verge, but they kind of had that whole thing going with Vapor Trails too. I think Vapor Trails is just the kind of the same sound. It's not as heavy, I don't think. I don't know, but like t tone wise and like way, where they were going, I don't know. Um, Snakes and Arrows. I don't think there's an. I don't think they have another album like Snakes and Arrows, like that kind of folky thing. Uh, Snakes and Arrows are pretty heavy too, though. Yeah, they have some of their moments on there. They have like really heavy moments. On yeah, but, Far Cry, Main Monkey Business, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that's I I I like this. The melodies are actually are quite pleasing. The vocals, obviously, take you know the first thing that people normally push off when it comes to Rush, I believe, is the vocals. Are the vocals? I don't whatever. Um, but the guitar compositions, really good. The blend of blues rock with flavors of prog rock and then pushing in that direction, really good. Like, it's it's great. So I think the more you hear it, the more you hear in it over time as, as you start to hear uh, sort of the full discography. Um, but I would never, ever be like, oh, Rush? You've never heard of Rush? Listen to Caress of Steel. I just would never do that. Right. I mean, I think for me, it's in that same vein. This is not a bad album. It's in fact, it's a good album, I think. But yes. my first thought, if someone mentioned this to me, would not would be, oh, you're a true Rush fan because you know about this album, as opposed to, oh, I love that album. Mm. Does that make any sense? Yep. Yeah. 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 The first thing I would think of is like, oh, you know about that record. That's kind of cool. You know Rush like really well, rather than. I really enjoy that. Yes, that's the first thing I think of when I hear someone mention that. I I think of Rush in general and an intimate knowledge of them rather than uh, than oh that's an excellent record. Uh, I yeah I like I do and I do like this record. I mean you know this is coming from a, a, a very big Rush fan, but um, you know it's not one of my favorites. Not one I think of, but it still intrigues me. Uh, I think there's I think that's a good way to talk about this record at least for me is it's intriguing because of the history behind it and you know the fact that they were exploring yeah. deeper themes and building worlds and longer songs and it's still rush like and it's, it's still it's still, still the energy it's still the energy it's still the raucous like hardcore right. and you know yeah right and lyrically this album is not some of their best work but honestly i still find it more engaging and like mysterious than a lot of other hard rockers at that time and maybe it's just that i like the way that Peart writes, so maybe I'm biased, but um, it's not his best, but I still like the way he writes. The key, the end, the answer, stripped of their disguise. I mean, you know, the stuff I mentioned earlier. Still, yeah. it's all confusion and tears spring to my eyes. Like, that's written really well to me. I think a concise way of showing how that character was feeling at that point. So, and, yeah. and creative way to do that. So, yeah, that's no, good. You know, that's good. It does, it does seem more like a stepping stone to something greater. Like mm -hmm. 2112, which, which it was 2112, yeah, and it was exactly. exactly. So, so I, I sound like a broken record for just agreeing with all the reviews on it. But to be honest, I have to agree with these reviews because um, it is good on its own. I enjoy the music on this record. Let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. Yep. Um, there is not a song on here that I say, "Oh, I have to skip this." Whereas every now and then, it's very rare. I'm a big Rush fan, but every now and then, there's a Rush record where I'm like, "We can skip this track." Yep. I can absolutely skip this track and I will not feel like I've missed out on anything. Yep. Yeah. No, <laughs> and this I, I is get not that. that. This is not that. I like each of these songs. I really do. And even, okay, and people give, I think I'm going bald, a really bad rap. And I'm like, um, 
it's kind of funny in a mm-hmm. way and goofy, but I, I think honestly, the and maybe I'm just not reading this right, but I looked up the lyrics and I'm like, really, the only part that's funny about this song is I'm going bald, just because the idea and of the going bald is, is embarrassing. And yeah, the I delivery of it is kind bald. of yeah. But even but also, like, I think I'm the rest of the li- I'm going bald. I think I'm I'm going bald. Yeah, that's that's kind of goofy. Yeah, and then like the rest of it is I'm like it's actually pretty sad and serious. My life is slipping away, but even when I am gray, you know, yeah. Just now I'm forgetting the the rest of it. But it's you know it's talking about a, a more serious topic about the fear of growing old, which is a legitimate fear and a very common fear for a lot of people. So, um, I you know I just I I don't think it's that bad of a song. Granted. It's not one of my favorites on the record either, but yeah. I like it too. It's still pretty raucous and you can kind of get into it, but it is, it's also basic. Sorry, but it is. It's very basic. It's very, oh, very basic. Oriented. Blues or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, that's cool. That's, there's nothing wrong with that, but, um, you know, it's just, again, and this, that's perfect how you can tell that it's an evolution because they're going from something like that on the same record as like a 20 minute big epic that has a lot of different types of moods to it. So, yeah, no, that's, it's a very wide ranging uh, or wide cast a wide net musically. Right. Well, and you know, it's like you can tell, like it's going from their origins to something else. Like they're mixing the two, where it's like we're still kind of tethered to what we know and what we're familiar with, which is that standard blues rock, which is Led Zeppelin and ACDC and the Who and all that. Like we're still latching on. Like that's still what's familiar to us. So here's your song that kind of demonstrates that. Uh, you know, I think I'm going bald, and even Bastille Day to an extent. And then yep. here's where we're exploring some more stuff with, uh, you know, and then the more soft stuff where he's, the sky is pitching violently, you know, all that kind of stuff where yep. it just, it has a, a lot more dynamics in that song than yeah. some of the other stuff. So you can tell that it's definitely a bridge, I think. 100%. Definitely. That's really 100%. the sum up of this of this record. Like this this record's a bridge. It's a bridge from what they were doing to where they were going. And they didn't do it. It wasn't bad. Uh but that's <laughs> like it's it, it it's not a bad record. It's just it's a bridge. But you know, the bridge is wasn't the bridge is nice because it helps you get to your destination, but no one just goes to the bridge. Right, exactly. You know? Um yep. No one yep. just walks onto the bridge to be on the bridge. Like they, they get to the other side. So uh, it's a, uh, it's, it's just a part of, part of where they need to go. And yeah, that's, that's essentially, that's the only thoughts I had. That's, that's kind of my, that's kind of like my final thought on this record. There's nothing else really to say about it. At least to me. Yeah. I, I would have to agree. Yeah. So, but we have, we have one thing that we want to do before we let you guys go. This is a, a little bit of a shorter episode for everybody, which is, which is fine. But, Drew, we, uh, in, in honor of our two-year uh, birthday, is the, the prog notes two-year, we're two years old now? Two years old. Two years old, or, you know, we're two years old. We're just, uh, we're, we're going to have a little, little fun for a second. And, uh, and we're just going to give, on air, our best Getty impersonation. Oh, shoot, let me look up the lyrics. Yeah, Where I gotta find the, I gotta find the lyrics too because I don't know exactly what I'm singing. It's, it's you're you're in the necromancer, mm-hmm. right? Or no? No, it's you? Fountain Lamb. Lamb. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought you were saying brooding in the tower. I thought that was initially what you wanted. Brooding no, in the tower. I, I think what I'm doing is 
is that so, hold on hold on let me play it real quick and we'll figure out exactly what it is yeah it's found the okay yeah oh this is the correction drawn out yeah where is that yeah 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 that's what, in the what, middle here in the middle uh call out for direction and there's no one there to steer shout out for salvation but there's no one there to hear yep 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 i see okay here i am scream out desperation but no one cares to hear that that stanza right there okay okay here we go all right are you going first and then me or what are we doing no you can go first shit i don't even sorry i can go i can go first if you want me to go first hold on let me get some water this is gonna be rough i only have a couple of, of droplets left here in my cup really I'm about the same way, too. I just swallowed my last gulp here. Okay, so there's that. This is it. All right. You want me to go first? You're, you're, go, yes. <clears throat> All right, here we go. Here's <laughs> This is going to be so bad. Uh, why am I doing this against a vocalist? That sucks. No, that's okay, because I don't have that kind of voice. This is going to be bad for me, too. So okay, don't fine. feel intimidated. All right, here we go. <clears throat> here we go. All right, here we go. All right, I got this. I got this. I feel like I'm playing rock band. Yeah. Call out for direction, and there's no one there to steer. Shout out for salvation, but there's no one there to hear. Cry out supplication for the maelstrom in the air. Oh, God, here we go. You know, you know, I have to applaud you. That was pretty dang great. Did you like that? I, I, <clears throat> I honestly did. And this is not sarcasm. I'm a very sarcastic person. This is genuine. That was holy. That crap. was very good. Thank you. That was very good. Thank you. And honestly, and... I'm I'm a little worried to follow that. Gonna, <laughs> I'm just I'm just call, I'm just calling it like I see I'm it. Just, okay. I, hey, I call it like I see it. I call. It I like told I you. I, I call it like I see, I see it. it. Oh man, um, I did I'm not also rehearse very that. Tired. I'm also very tired. I want you to know that I tried uh, your brooding in the tower because initially I thought oh, that yeah. was the lyric we we're going to do on next. No, that one's, that one's in the rough. car. I want you all to know that it was probably not even three or four lines of lyrics. Uh, you know, and I was I was done. I was coughing and hacking in my car. Afterwards. <laughs> it was this. Yeah, I need some water. There's no water near me. I don't have my water bottle in my car, and so whoa. Uh, gonna have a wreck on the road right there and i think oh. people were like is this guy okay they see me hacking and wheezing i say it's okay i'm just preparing for a podcast i'm sure you can understand yeah and they were like sure uh, of course carry yeah, on yeah carry on with absolutely it. yeah all right you ready shoot oh my god <clears throat> no i'm not ready but go ahead all right here we go here's drew drew's version or impersonation or impression what is the right verbiage there uh impression impression okay impression. are you talking about yeah impersonation I impression i don't whatever you don't impersonate someone if you're just trying to you know you don't go to jail for doing an impression if you impersonate someone you do go to jail oh you know what i'm saying if you're yeah. pretending to be a police officer or a doctor right. yeah that's impersonating right that's right. impersonating when right. you're just okay. doing an impression of someone that's just yeah. their likeness that you're trying to portray for entertainment purposes right english lessons with drew i'm just saying all right all right here we go Ah! 
the very end. But <laughs> I, I think I successfully woke up everyone. My, I, I'm sure my dog is gonna come out and be like, "You okay, man? <laughs> what is going on with?" Oh with you? man, that was, dude. That was, I mean, the energy there, and man, that's I, rough. I, I'm gonna be honest. I'm nervous. I'm shaking right now. I'm, oh my god. I'm so nervous. I've never, I've never done anything like this before. Oh, all right. We're, we're done that. Thank you everybody for withstanding that nonsense. Um, hopefully you enjoyed it a little bit. Did I peek? I bet I, I was probably kissing the red there. Pretty, pretty, Who knows? I, I was, I was, I'll, I'll edit it later. It's whatever. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, everybody. We would like to thank you so much for listening to our podcast. These are our prog notes for Caress of Steel. If you enjoyed the episode, learn something new from the episode, please subscribe. And conversation doesn't have to stop here, guys. In this episode's description, you can join our Discord server, which is a chat server for all prog rock fans and fans of the show. You can also follow us on Instagram and or Facebook. You can join our prog notes community, which will give you access to our monthly newsletter. And guys, let me ask you something. If like, If you're not in it, why? It, like it's oh. free it's seriously seriously it's completely free we send out a monthly newsletter new prog rock music stuff to find stuff to look at prog facts all kinds of stuff I, I, like i don't know why you guys aren't getting on that but it's free um you, you can also if you also enjoy our content and would like to support our show in exchange for some great benefits you can or please uh, please consider checking out our patreon page uh once again all of these links that i just mentioned are in this episode's description drew what is the next record we're going to check out on the 15th of december just a reminder that the episodes come out on the 15th of every month the 15th of december we will be reviewing paruno mico by primiata Fonoria marcon man uh, that was good dude thanks i appreciate it yeah. i wanted to pronounce it correctly and i'm sure i didn't uh so someone who's italian who's listening to this will probably think <laughs> Nice. I'm glad you swung the bat, but that's a swing and a miss. Shoot. Um, sticking around, sticking around for the it, '70s a little bit. You know, we, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're gonna this jump is, back to '72, but we're gonna go to Italy this time. Right. This is PFM. That's uh, that's the band's the band's name. Uh, and uh, I, I'm looking forward to. It. We've never we haven't done Italian prog on here yet, so nope. this will be this will be really fun. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I'm excited too. Join us next time as we discover the past, present, and future of prog rock. See you guys on Discord. Thanks. <laughs>